Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This episode is sponsored by Audible. In recent centuries we've had an avalanche of new technologies developed, and yet none eclipse the impact fire has had on our civilization. But could a civilization arise without fire? I recently completed an episode on the Fermi Paradox asking if technology might be a good deal less likely to develop than we might expect, and it got me thinking about possibly the other direction, that it's near inevitable to develop once any species has sufficient technology. This is our usual basic assumption, that anyone clever enough to invent something will likely be around those clever enough to see its usefulness and replicate and improve the design. Not always, but occasionally, and more often than they discard something they knew was useful, so you'd expect any clever critters, from our ancestors to aliens on some other world, to eventually accumulate more technology. In that episode, Rail Technology, we challenged that assumption, and a point I raised there was that it seems like humanity has had fire for around a million years, but took considerably longer to use it for cooking food or fire sharpening sticks into spears. Indeed it was only relatively recently that we started using it for making ceramics or metals. 99% of the time we had fire, we didn't have pottery or metalworking. But of course we did get it eventually, and as long as a million years is, it itself is only about 1% of 1% of the age of the Universe, or the estimated lifetimes of the sorts of stars we'd expect complex life to live around. So if it took them 10 or even 100 times as long to use fire for more constructive ends, It doesn't make a great answer to the Fermi Paradox, the big question of how the Universe can be so immense and ancient, and yet be seemingly absent other and older civilizations on other worlds. Of course that makes a big assumption about how abundant worlds like Earth are. With all the discoveries of exoplanets since the century began, we tend to assume there must be a ton of Earth analogs out there, but it is worth noting that we haven't found a single one yet, even as our catalog of exoplanets expands into the thousands. Needless to say, that depends a lot on what we mean by an Earth analog, how close is close enough, but our means of detection matters too. By and large, exoplanets are easy to spot the bigger they are and the closer they are to their own Sun, where they are more brightly lit and cause more gravitational wobble to that star, so it's not that we think planets of Earth's mass and orbital distance or temperature are rare, just that they are vastly harder to spot than hot and massive worlds. I've lost track of how many times some pop science news source has proclaimed we found a world like Earth that wasn't even as close a match as planets in our own solar system, and usually what we call a super-Earth, some planet several times the mass of Earth. Of course such places might host life, but there's a bit of a problem. Earth began with the same elemental composition as the other planets and even the Sun, as we all formed from the same planetary nebula. Earth and the inner planets have virtually no hydrogen anymore whereas the Sun and the outer gas giants are mostly made of hydrogen, and the other inner planets have even less of it. The second most abundant material in the Universe, and in our solar system, is helium, and as helium is a noble gas and doesn't combine with other atoms like hydrogen does, it's even rarer on the inner planets than hydrogen is. This is a good thing for us of course, 
we have plenty of hydrogen in our water and a few other chemicals, but the vast majority of it blew away in the early days of the solar system. The lighter a molecule or atom is, the more likely it is to be blown off the planet by solar wind coming off the sun. The closer to the star or warmer such a world is, the more quickly those light elements will be blown away. The lower the gravity of that planet, the more quickly too. As a result, it's quite likely that planets much lighter or warmer than Earth would have had their atmospheres and oceans stripped off long before advanced life had evolved. Indeed that presumably happened to Mars long ago, and it gets a lot less light and solar wind off the Sun to strip it down. And while Venus, much closer to Earth's mass, not only has an atmosphere but one far thicker than Earth's, virtually none of that is hydrogen or helium. So it's quite probable that even being just a bit lighter or warmer than Earth would mean no significant atmosphere, or even just one a lot lower in pressure than ours and more arid. Hard for fire to get developed without plenty of oxygen and water, but probably more importantly, hard for a lot of animal life to develop there or the rich ecosystem that could fuel a diverse and mini-tiered food chain. On the flip side, a more massive planet will likely have retained a lot more of its hydrogen, and since oxygen is abundant in every rocky object, you'd expect it to have a lot more water. A planet initially twice Earth's mass should have had twice as much hydrogen and oxygen to begin with, and lost far less of its hydrogen, potentially retaining an order of magnitude more than we have. At the same time, such a planet, if its density was decently parallel to Earth's, should have had a radius only 26% higher than Earth's and a surface area only 60% higher, on which we'd expect double the hydrogen to be around, and even if that's all it's retained that means your oceans are also 26% deeper. Though as mentioned, we tend to expect it to have much deeper oceans and thicker atmosphere from the higher gravity holding onto the lighter atoms that would otherwise escape. The average depth of our oceans is 3700 meters, so if they were 26% deeper that would mean nearly an extra kilometer of water, and very little of Earth's surface area would be left above water if that were so, and again that's probably conservative since such worlds would retain more hydrogen. Add to that, more water and thicker atmospheres makes for more powerful erosive forces grinding down what mountains might peak above the sea. This implies many planets a bit more massive than Earth might be all ocean with little to no surface land and thick atmospheres. That's not a problem for life, the oceans are abundant in life, including many small critters, but not helpful for fire. Now as a caveat, I should note that much of Earth's water is stored under our crust, and that could easily be the case in other places and result in reduction to this problem. Time will tell as we improve our models and catalogs of worlds and get better looks at them. For today though it merely reminds us that it doesn't take much difference on a planet to screw up the ability to use fire or the desire to want to. Critters with good night sight and thick fur coats benefit little from fire, which is scary stuff and so might never use it. Same, it is scary stuff, so a species has to be a bit weird in the head not to run screaming from it whenever it encounters it. A more humid and wet planet would rarely see natural fires and would rarely have them start on accident either. We don't know how fire got discovered, in the sense of something we could make and control, but I'd not be surprised if some ancestor of ours was sitting there sharpening a flint axe, striking sparks, and was sitting on some nice dry tinder as a comfortable place to walk and presto. That won't happen on a planet that's too wet. Same, biology matters a bit too. Humans are omnivores but we don't eat grass or wood chips, we can't get much nutrient out of them. Other critters can and other places wouldn't likely have identical biology to us, 
So it might be you don't really have large chunks of combustible matter lying around that's dried out because things come by and eat it first. Planets with less oxygen might just be very hard to start a fire on. That's actually very hard to do without devices designed and refined to do it. You don't just invent a fire bow one day. To have it happen on accident, you have to be either striking the right kind of stones together a lot, or drilling into something combustible at a rate at which heat can build up enough to kindle a fire. Both of those are much harder if the oxygen ratio is even a little bit lower, whereas alternatively, if the oxygen level is just a bit higher, it is much easier to ignite a fire and that makes it even more dangerous. We could go on but I imagine we've made the point. There are a ton of things which might make the invention and use of fire far less likely, harder, or effectively impossible, like it would be for underwater life. It might be that only a very tiny fraction of Earth analogs would have a setup that made fire's discovery very plausible, while at the same time permitted complex life to evolve. It doesn't matter if that's just a small portion or vast supermajority, except to the Fermi Paradox of course. What matters today is if life forms as smart as humans could plausibly exist on some place where fire just wasn't likely to be available, and if technology could still be developed without it. It's hard to overestimate just how dependent our various technologies are on fire and the secondary technologies it permits. Not every technology does, one can make very sharp instruments out of rock or volcanic glass or even bone, indeed obsidian can be sharper than even high quality steel scalpels let alone early copper and bronze knives. It's not very durable or malleable though, which is why we liked metals. Similarly, while pots are great for storage, especially of liquids, we made ample use of animal hides for that too, and you'd figure a waterlogged planet where fire was hard would have plenty of flora and fauna with waterproof traits you could use for such storage purposes. So too, you could easily have local vegetation that made for much better tools than most of our trees do. So at a minimum we can see a clear path for a decent amount of basic technology developing without fire, even if stuff like metallurgy and engines would be a good deal harder, and it is worth remembering that until relatively recently, even most of the more advanced technology available to civilizations was not in wide usage, and often not even in limited but critical usage. Improvements can keep being made to those albeit probably slower without fire. Now one quick note. It would seem undeniable that, without fire, technology would be a lot harder if possible at all, but we must remember what we said earlier about how long it took us to develop fire-based applications, even once we had fire, and that it was still an eye blink of time compared to how long life has been around. If evolution produced a species that is using big and abstract brains to enhance their survival, then it's likely to keep selecting for more intelligence, such being the case, That means over time they are getting smarter, with or without fire. Invention is a mostly statistical process, having someone very smart be exposed to a problem or question and sort of stumbling into an idea. That is going to be way more common if your average person's IQ is higher than Einstein's, which might easily occur with different brain architecture or just many thousands of more generations of it being a critical survival trait. An absence of fire slows you down, but if your invention timeline is slow to the point that you're getting smarter from natural selection, you might hit a tipping point where you're figuring out alternative technologies very quickly. I pulled up a list of most important technologies, and while such things vary, it included a lot of the obvious candidates, printing presses, paper, and of course writing, for recording ideas. 
things like the wheel or sails or compasses for getting around quickly and accurately, animal domestication and engines for amplifying available power and energy and work, many others too but it took me only a couple minutes to think of how each of those could be done without fire, replaced by something around as good that didn't require fire, or which might not even be necessary. As an example, the magnetic compass is a great boon for navigation, but in no way critical for anything but ocean-going ships far from any shore or planet-based navigational aids. Now you can have magnetic needles without fire-based metalworking, magnetic rocks fall down out of the sky as meteors after all and might do so more often on some planets, but there's also no reason to think the average planet has essentially two major landmasses separated by most of the empty ocean devoid of map references. Plus, you can navigate by stars with an accurate clock, and while good carbon steel springs are handy for making those, there are a ton of ways to track time. One of those might be a smaller and closer moon that orbits a planet more quickly than ours and made for better timekeeping, or a species that had an internal clock. We breathe at a variable rate and have a heartbeat that varies too, both by individual and activity. But you could have a species that has some lung or heart that loudly and consistently expanded or beat, or any number of other internal clock options. They might be math virtuosos or really good at counting, especially if they've been evolving bigger brains for a long time, and have no problem remembering how many heartbeats they've had that day and how many they normally have and performing the trigonometry to navigate with ease. More time to develop bigger brains could have some really bizarre effects like that, or just seeing uses for a given object or phenomena that took us far longer to develop an understanding and application for. Needless to say, you can do writing even underwater, and make paper to write on in a compact and handy fashion out of tons of stuff. It's nice to have the ability to melt and mix lead and other metals to make nice typeset for a printing press, but it's hardly mandatory. And in terms of animal domestication and farming, Hitching a whale or dolphin up to a yoke dragging a sharp rock or bone plow is presumably doable. Other than those things specifically involving fire, like combustion engines, rockets, glass, and metalworking, most can be gotten around. But you kinda need those things if you want to be making computers and rockets and telescopes and microscopes and smartphones. What are the options? Potentially many, we can't really guess what another civilization might invent with centuries or even millions of years to go about it or at least I can't during the relatively short period I've been thinking on the topic. One method sticks out though, and that's nuclear power. We had started noticing interesting properties of uranium long before we had modern civilization, and began learning its most obvious property, that it produces heat, about the time things like automobiles and planes and trains started getting common. Now it's very hard to get much heat out of uranium without getting a lethal dose of radiation if you lack metalworking but a species might be much more durable to radiation than us, and wouldn't necessarily need to be in order to slowly develop improved primitive reactors, those actually occur in nature, and learn to handle it more efficiently and safely much as we presumably did with fire, which even until quite recently was one of the leading causes of death for humans. Indeed long-term cancer risks from things like radiation, which might be less of an issue for many species and biologies, is only a big concern these days because we so rarely die before getting old enough for cancer to be a common killer. Lacking many of the technologies that help us live longer, an elevated risk of cancer when you're already rather old is probably not even as much a concern to them as the dangers of fire have been to us for virtually all of human existence, and we kept working with it, 
so they might work with uranium too, much as we have with fire. If they've got it and start mastering it, that does become all you need for replacing fire, for everything from vehicle engines to metalworking to spacecraft, as we saw in our look at such spaceships in the nuclear option. Many other important bits of technology would be quite a lot harder underwater, harder to mix chemicals under the sea, but we didn't specify underwater, just without fire, and it should still be doable. In that regard, while I think the trek to advanced technology would be far harder without fire, it is doable via atomic energy or solar or geothermal too, though it will probably take them much longer. Maybe so long their planet died before they did it, though that would tend to be a long time even by evolutionary standards, and if they are on an evolutionary path where bigger and more abstract brains are being selected for, it might not take that much longer at that. It's a strange and hard path to all those fiery stars in the sky without fire, but it might indeed be possible, so maybe somewhere out there in the Universe there is an advanced civilization of dolphins or whales we might meet someday. Oceanic planets are always the first to come to mind when this notion of technology without fire comes up, as are alternative pathways of evolution, and we see a particularly interesting take on that in Stanislaw Lem's classic sci-fi novel Solaris, our Audible Book of the Month. Solaris is an amazing novel, exploring psychological themes while contemplating what a truly alien intelligence might be like, and asking if it could even be possible to truly communicate with an alien mind. Solaris has been adapted to film and audio quite a few times, but I recommend the audiobook narrated by Alessandro Giuliani, who you might recall as Lieutenant Felix Gaeta of Battlestar Galactica. He gives an excellent performance, and as I've mentioned before with audiobooks, a great narrator can add so much to a good book, and Lem is already one of the greats of science fiction, and Solaris is his best known work, so I highly recommend it. However, he wrote many other wonderful novels too, and you can find many of his other books on Audible also. It's also a good time for some extra reading, or listening, as Audible is offering a challenge this new year to its new, and current members. Finish three audiobooks by March 3rd and get a $20 Amazon credit. It's that simple. Finish three by 3-3 and get $20. How easy is that? There's nothing to enter, Audible will keep track of your progress for you. Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two exclusive Audible originals you can't hear anywhere else, including access to guided fitness programs if getting into shape was your New Year's resolution. You can listen to your audiobooks anywhere on any device, and if you don't enjoy your book you can easily exchange it for another, though I'm sure you'll love Solaris and you can start listening today with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Just visit the link in the episode description, audible.com slash Isaac, or text Isaac to 500-500. Incidentally, if you're planning on taking the Audible Challenge and need some ideas, or just want some reading suggestions for these cold winter months, check out the Books tab on our website, IsaacArthur.net, where we have all of our Books of the Month listed along with many other book recommendations, and while you're there, you can also check out some of our awesome SFIA merchandise or donate to help support future episodes. As to those future episodes, this Thursday we'll be visiting the Moon to look at how industry there might begin being set up and what forms it might take, in Moon Industrial Complex. The week after that we'll ask the big question of why life exists, then close out the month with a look at life on board O'Neill Cylinders, 
we'll also have our usual monthly livestream Q&A. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and share it with others. Until next time, thanks for watching, and we'll see you Thursday.